Thank you, gang. I'd like for you to turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Luke. And I want to read verses 40 through 48. The 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Verses 40 through 48. Is it essential to make your faith, your relationship with God a public matter? And as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed Him, for they had all been waiting for Him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years, and could not be healed by any one, came up behind him, touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. It's of me here, it's really out from me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Our relationship with God is a very private thing. I believe that and feel that deeply, that this is something between you and God, between me and God, and it is, because of its intimate nature, a very private thing. A man reminded me of that in no unspoken terms one time. I was pastoring at Fort Worth, the a young lady was going with this gentleman, and they were kind of seriously thinking about marriage. And she asked me one day to talk to him about his Christian uh, experience, whether or not he was really saved. And so I set up an appointment, and um, I popped a question. And he said, in no uncertain terms, I don't think that's any of your business. He said, what I have with God is between me and God. If you're talking about somebody who goes out on the street corner and shouts like a newspaper salesman would shout the extra uh, news edition, no, no, I'm not. But he said, if you're talking about somebody who's had a private relationship with the Lord, then that's between me and the Lord. I believe that our relationship with God is a very personal thing. By that I mean that that nobody can have an experience with God for you. And nobody can testify for you. And nobody can be saved for you. It's a very personal thing. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's something that only a person can have for himself. Now, there are some people who believe, evidently, that 
that uh, one's relationship with God is geographical. I heard Bill Pinson say one time and at the seminary that a friend of his picked up his hitchhiker. And they were driving down the road and he asked the hitchhiker if he were Christian. He said, I sure am. Why? And he said, well, how do you know you're a Christian? He said, well, I was born in Texas. And, well, he plugged away at that a little bit, you know. He said, well, let me, let me find out what you're talking about. He said, well, the answer is simple. There are only two kinds of people. They're heathens and Christians. And the United States is a Christian nation. Texas is a part of the United States. And I was born in Texas. That makes me a Christian, doesn't it? There are some people who believe that becoming a Christian is being a part of some kind of a, of a, of a group. And so you ask somebody, are you a Christian? They might answer, I well, I belong to the First Baptist Church. I belong to the Methodist faith. I belong to the Presbyterian Church. And this uh, statement, I belong to, has become the, the, the watchword of many who, who by it declare their faith. And there are some who must believe that because they were born to a Christian family in a Christian home, that makes them a Christian. But it is a personal thing. It is a private thing. But I believe that the Christian faith and the one's experience with God is a very public thing. I believe it has an address. I believe it has a place where it is expressed. And I believe that when Jesus called people, He called them publicly, and He said something about confessing Him before men in order that He might confess us before the Father. So even though it is a private matter just between you and God, and it is something only you can have for yourself, it is a very public thing. God calls us to a public profession, a public affirmation, a public declaration of our faith. And there is no greater illustration, I think, of it than this oft-told story that took place one day on a little road in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, I don't believe that baptism is essential for salvation. I do not believe in baptismal regeneration. There are many people who do, and that's fine. I don't believe in baptismal regeneration. I do not believe that baptism is essential to salvation, but I do believe that baptism is essential. Because baptism is the doctrinal, theological, New Testament way to affirm our faith in Jesus Christ publicly. And if it is a public matter, then, the, then baptism is essential in the declaration, in the public confession of our faith. Um, is a public declaration, affirmation of faith essential? It is for three reasons. It is essential because of its significance to the Savior. Now we need to set this story in its chronology. Jesus has just returned from the city of Gadara. You know what happened there, don't you? Jesus had healed the demoniac and was booted out of town. He did something that the people uh, didn't approve of. He he sent the demons into the swine. You know that story. And they ask him to leave. And Jesus never abides where he's not wanted. He left the city of Gadara because he was asked to leave the city of Gadara. He must have been crushed by that. The scripture sets this account in the latter part of, of the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Now that's significant in that Jesus had his most success in the Galilean ministry. 
It was down in Galilee that the crowds supported him. It was from Galilee that he found his greatest popularity, his greatest following up in Judea. He got in trouble with the temple crowd. So he's moving from the Galilean ministry into his final steps toward the cross, toward the temple, toward the temple crowd, toward the city of Jerusalem, where his popularity had already begun to wane and where these Pharisees had already conspired to kill him. And here he goes along the way, having just been asked to leave a city and just moving from one ministry to another on his way to the cross and the people are pressing around him. And in this crowd of people is a woman healed. She was as much healed as she'd ever been healed. She was as much, quote, saved whole as she'd ever been saved whole. And yet, for the significance of the Savior Himself, He desired her public declaration of her healing, of her wholeness. So that when she came out among that crowd, some hostile, some curious, in the beginning of his triumphant march to the cross, when she came out of that crowd and she declared what had happened to her before all eyes, trembling, timid, fearful woman, before all eyes she made public confession. It was like a finger of praise pointing toward him. I think we lose sight of the purpose of public affirmation, public profession, public declaration. It is not just something we can or cannot do for the sake of the church. It is something that brings Him glory. It becomes an occasion to magnify His power. And so He said, And power has gone out from me. Where is the one? Where is the one that has been touched by the power that has gone out from me? And so she came and said, It is I, Lord. The significance of this event is the significance of what it meant to him. It was an occasion to exalt his power and to praise him. Public affirmation and declaration is essential, secondly, because of its significance to, er to others, Jarius in particular. Now here's this guy standing on the outside of this crowd. Look at him, Jarius the president of the synagogue. Jesus had already fallen onto hard times with the synagogue crowd. He was not allowed there anymore. He had healed on the Sabbath in the synagogue. It took a great deal of faith for this man to come to Jesus, this ruler of the synagogue, and he's on his face at the feet of the Galilean, this peasant man. That's a tremendous, awesome amount. It takes an awesome amount of courage. You talk about public declaration of faith, there it is. Look at him now as he entreats the Lord to save his daughter who is ill. And he's thinking to himself, thinking within himself, he's got to hurry, she's dying. He's got to hurry. For 12 years I've had my little girl and she's dying. It will be too late if he waits. My little girl has brought my home full of sunshine for 12 years. Her tears and her laughter have been a rainbow of radiance in my home for 12 years, and she's dying. I don't think I can live without her. He'd better hurry. What is that woman saying? 12 years in the shadows. Why, that woman has been ill as long as I've had my little girl with me. 
She's lived under the shadows all the time that I've been in the sunshine. What is that woman saying? Her shadows are gone. She's been healed. The joy has come back to her. She's been made whole. And if he can heal and help her, just by simply touching the fringe of his garment, he must be able to heal and to help mine. The significance of that event was for Jairus. Now, listen to me carefully. Oftentimes, several times, I have used this story as an illustration of a faith that keeps on believing, of a faith that endures. Now, it takes a tremendous amount of faith to come to Jesus in the first place. But there are times when we need faith second wind, when it just seems impossible to go on believing. Don't you know those times? And so they came later to Jairus, did his, did his uh, servants to say, forget about it, forget it, she's already dead. And the faith that brought him to Jesus in the first place was not enough for that. He had to move to a new level of believing. And so Jesus said to him immediately, keep on believing, Jairus. Even in the face of imposs- the impossible even in the face of the unbelievers, keep on believing. Let your faith move to a new level to believe the impossible. And he did. Now, I'm not really sure that Jairus would have had the faith to keep on believing had he not been eyewitness to a a public declaration of the power of God in a woman's life. I'm not sure that he would have had the faith to go on believing. I'm not sure that there are some... I don't know if I would have ever been saved or not if there had not been somebody who publicly declared their faith in Christ before me. I'm not sure that I would have continued to believe in the Lord had I not been eyewitness to public demonstrations or affirmations of God's power in human life, so that I'm not confident or sure that Jarius would have moved to that new level of faith had he not known God in Christ had healed this woman. Had, what, what would have happened had she stayed silent? Jarius would have missed it all. Is a public affirmation essential? It is because of its significance to Jesus. Its significance to Jarius, and because of its significance to the woman, to you. Now I want you to look with me at verse 48. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, daughter. Um, I, believe one of the, I believe one of the sweetest things that that I ever heard my father ever say to me was, Son, how faulty preaching is. There is no way that I can say can describe the impact, the meaning of that one word in the Greek language. It means precious little 
daughter, child. Daughter. And he spoke to her and he called her daughter. There's no way to describe that. Martin Luther once complained that the preaching of the best of us is like little infants cooing and gurgling with half words and quarter words. And, 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 he, and, he, and he said that, that the preaching of the best of us is, is like the gurgling and cooing of a child that hasn't language. I, I, can't, I can't say it, daughter, like it mean, needs to be said. Now watch this. This woman was healed. She was strong, for when Jesus heals, He heals indeed. But she was still excommunicated from the temple, from the synagogue, because a woman who had a hemorrhage, today she would have a hysterectomy, a woman who had a hemorrhage was not permitted in the synagogue, in the place of public worship. And she was still divorced from her husband and separated from her family because a woman with a hemorrhage was not allowed in her husband's bed and was not allowed in her family's home. She was still divorced from her husband and, uh, and excommunicated from the synagogue and ostracized from her family. Restoration would soon come, but she was still separated from them. She had lost everything. And he said, daughter. What else matters? He brought her to his heart and all of a sudden heaven dawned and the shadows melted away, and new life began. And she would have missed those words if she had remained silent. Now, I believe that you can be saved and as saved as you'll ever be and keep that a secret. I don't believe that it will happen, but I believe you can be saved and not let anybody know that you've been saved. I don't know whether that's possible or not, but suppose that you experience the miracle of His power and you don't give public witness to that. You miss something. I've, I've noticed this and I've observed that, 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 that people who have, who have been saved and who have, been, uh, who have not been baptized feel like they haven't been saved. And, and I've talked to a lot of them. Uh, uh, Walt Davis is, is one of these guys that, that I've come to love and, and uh, uh, feel deeply for. And Walt Davis professed his faith in Jesus Christ and he was not really physically able to be baptized. But he had to be baptized. He just had to be because he didn't feel like that it was all through or finished until he was. It's like driving a nail through a board and clenching it on the other side. When God does something this great in your life, if you do not share that, you miss something. You just miss out on the richest part of that experience. You just rich out, miss out on the richest part of that relationship that comes about when a person comes out into the open, something happens to him and in him and for him that is beyond anything he has ever experienced before. 
and I can bring people to this pulpit and they can give testimony after testimony after testimony that when they walk into those baptismal waters, something happens to them there that's unique. And when they go down in that water and they come out of there, something mysterious and wonderful and emotional happens to them that is unlike anything they have ever experienced. Don't miss out on that. That's essential for you. And now we want to tie this all together and bring it all together. It is this, that whenever God does something in your life, it is essential that He gets glory and praise from it. It's essential for us, and it's essential for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of declaring our faith. Even though it's something that just is between the individual and God, it is something so wonderful everybody ought to have the privilege of enjoying. So I pray tonight for those who would need publicly declare their faith in Christ, publicly confess their sin, publicly announce their identification as a follower of Jesus. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now look here. Rick Engels said something I had never thought of before, heard of. He said there are three reasons for public confession. Three reasons for confession. There is a private confession that comes when you've thought things in your mind. Just in your mind, you've thought sinful thoughts. So in your own private heart of hearts, you confess that thought. There is when you do somebody, when you've offended somebody or you have been offended, you go and confess that to that individual in a a, a one-on-one way. And if you have sinned publicly... And there are those Christians and non-Christians who have been witness to public sin. You need to make public confession. I'm going to give you an invitation tonight. This is the Lord's invitation for you to come. Perhaps you've never placed your faith in Christ and you've never publicly declared your faith in Him. For whatever reason, you've publicly sinned and you want to repent. Get right with God before eyes, the eyes of those who saw you. We invite you to come while we stand to sing.